Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live. This is a chance for all of you, whether you're Arroya customers, Arroya curious, or just super into growing and existing in, in this exciting industry, to share your stories and get all of your burning cultivation questions answered. Each week, we'll spend an hour sharing our findings, walking you through some interesting features, and having a lively conversation about what you're doing, what you want to know, and even help you share your own stories and connect with other people who are passionate about the plant and its potential. My name is Keisha. I'll be your moderator to, for today's discussion, and we're going to be talking about electrical conductivity and sensors. If you have any questions for us and you're on the call, please go ahead and submit them in the chat anytime. We'll do our best to answer them during the broadcast, uh, but our Instagram community gifted us with a bunch of questions on this week's subject. So, Scott, Jason, you ready to go? Yes, we are. Thank you, Keisha. And Absolutely. I also uh, want to welcome... Uh, everyone to today's broadcast, but especially my dad, Galen Campbell, um, who put together some information on the irrigation of um, plants in controlled environments that is uh, that we're going to use as reference material for today's discussion, and also um, is really the uh, the reason why our business even exists. He um, ha was a researcher at Washington. State University for three decades in soil physics, and during that time also founded um, Decagon Devices, which uh, eventually became Meter Group um, about seven years ago. So, um, a welcome to my dad, Galen. And we're going to start off talking about EC, and we have some great questions from our uh, from people in uh, the Instagram community and uh, um, our customer group. Like, do you have to run a high EC to achieve better product? And what EC ranges do you want to stay in? And should I decrease EC later in flower? Those are all great questions, but we have to start off first and define what EC is. And to do that, I'm just going to share my screen. And um, so, Dad, I have this slide deck here. So uh, I'm just going to do that and show this. Um, and... Uh, so how is it defined here, and um, uh, how does nutrient concentration affect electrical conductivity? Yeah, it's the, the scourge of the, uh, of the pandemic is the mute <laughs> button. Yeah, there's a linear relationship between the, the uh, electrical conductivity and the concentration of the nutrient solution. Okay, yeah, so the more uh, the... Uh, higher the concentration of nutrients in solution, the higher the the EC that we're going to get. But um, uh, and one of the places where people get messed up is on this uh, difference between uh, bulk EC and pore water EC. And um, is this a good slide to to explain that difference, um, Dad? Yeah, I think so. Should uh, I go ahead on that? Yeah, please. Yeah, the sensor itself, the Terrace 12, uh, measures the bulk electrical conductivity. So if you just put it in some water, it'll 
measure the, the conductivity of that water correctly. But if you put it in, in uh, soil or a horticultural substrate, uh, there are particles in there that hold the water, the, the uh, uh, substrate itself, and, and so that interferes with its ability to conduct electricity. And then if the substrate is unsaturated, if the, uh, there are air spaces, that also interferes with it. And so the, uh, at a given concentration, uh, the, uh, the electrical conductivity of, of uh, uh, substrate at a lower water content could be hundred as much as, as the conductivity of the water that's in it. And what we need to know is the conductivity of the water that's in it. We call that the poor water EC. Yeah. So is it correct to say that that poor water EC is essentially um, what the roots are feeling? Um, you know, the, the stress or lack of stress uh, from osmotic potential that the roots are feeling at any given time? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so th this is the first problem um, that we overcome through converting bulk EC to pore water EC is that if you're just measuring bulk EC, you actually don't know um, what plant stresses are, are being created. So that's really crit critical um, uh, to know the difference between the two and also to know that in Arroyo, we're measuring uh, pore water EC and writing that to the, uh, the cultivar record. Uh, the, the cultivars uh, cultivation record. Um, so um, this is how the uh, the uh, uh, poor water EC is related to the uh, bulk EC, um, and I wanted to talk about redistribution. So, well, actually, just really quickly, um, let's talk about the sensor itself. So, um, and we did get a question on this. Uh, that we will get to after explaining the basics of the, the Teros 12 and why it's special. Um, we got a question, hey, what is the difference between a uh, Teros 12 that has three prongs on it and a Grodan uh, GrowSense uh, sensor that has six prongs on it? So, um, Galen, can you explain a, a little bit more about the Teros 12, where it came from, and, and how it works? Okay, the, the Teros 12 has three prongs on it. Uh, measure uh, the dielectric of the substrate solution between the center prong and the end prong, and we measure the electrical conductivity of the solution between the center prong and, and the, the base prong. And uh, the, the Grodan uh, sensor essentially has two of these Teres-12s in it, it measures at two different levels in the substrate. And so if you use two of the Teres-12s, you would have the same thing at two different levels in the substrate. You'd have the same thing as you have with, for measurement purposes, as you have with the Grodin sensor. Okay. Yeah, and um, we do make both of those sensors, so we understand very well how each one of them works. Um, and um, the, the Teros 12 and the reason why it's so useful in uh, hydrop uh, hydroponic growth media indoors is that it does a better job 
than any other sensor that we've ever tested at uh, measuring pore water EC um, while also getting uh, accurate moisture content reading. And which probe do you know? Uh, which probe is the um, the temperature sensor in Galen? It's the standard one. Okay. Yeah. So there. So those are the three readings that come out of the Teros twelve, which are um, water content from the dielectric EC. Uh, which is poor water EC and uh, temperature. So um, let's look at a data trace that a, an Arroyo customer might see just from watering their plants. And why don't you talk about what's going on in this uh, time series graph and the concept of uh, redistribution of EC? Okay, the blue line is the water content. Uh, the orange line is the uh, the electrical, the pore water electrical conductivity. Uh, the yellow uh, lines show that the uh, irrigation shots, uh, individual shots that are for an irrigation uh, event. And uh, so you can see as soon as uh, the irrigation starts, the water content immediately starts to climb and it climbs uh, to the high point that you see here and then it doesn't continue to go up from that even though you continue to, to be giving irrigation shots and that's because that that additional water you're giving is going to drainage. And you can see that initially as the um, irrigation starts, the electrical conductivity or water electrical conductivity increases. Um, and this is an indication that the plants have used up nutrients from the, the, uh, the substrate solution. And so the, uh, the irrigation event replenishes those nutrients. And then uh, when the when drainage starts to happen, why the, some of that, that is, is uh, moved out. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, Jason, can you share your screen on, um, on what a, uh, a typical um, Arroyo customer sees on their software when they're looking at, uh, at this, these irrigation events and how poor water EC and water content look in, in the actual platform? Yes, absolutely. So in this case, we're looking at uh, an entire grow cycle, uh, including the veg and flower phases. So uh, just starting off to the left side, we can see that uh, during veg, there's uh, you know just kind of a, a rough consistency as far as those irrigation events. Whenever those plants are growing in early stages, it's nice to really monitor on a daily basis and keep an eye on how much replenishment you're getting, what's going on with your EC. Are we looking at, at rising? Um, are we looking at, at decreasing? Do we need to you know, up, get, get to an established baseline for that plant growth initially? Uh, then here around the, the May 13th mark, we'll notice that these sensors got moved into the slab. So they went from that the four by four cube into the slab and some, uh, some rooting in type action for a few days here. And then we'll notice the, the beginning of regular generative irrigation. And as I was talking, uh, this is a, a development time where the plant is rapidly growing. It's increasing surface area. Transpiration rates are, are going up. And we can see kind of a, 
a decrease in the overall water content uh, as that static irrigation schedule doesn't necessarily keep up quite with the growth rate of the plant. Um, what we can also see here is that uh, that EC begins to stack uh, right around this about May 26th mark or so. The uh, water content, the irrigation um, schedule was actually increased to try and keep up with the, the plant's uptake. We're still looking at you know generative irrigation shots, that short irrigation window. But we can also see that by the quick rise of that EC that this plant is pulling water very quickly, right? These are, these are drybacks in the probably 25, maybe 30% area. Um, that's indicating very healthy growth rate. And that's also indicating that uh, the plant is feeling some, some generative steering by the way we see the slope of that EC climb very quickly. Now, some of the kind of questions that we get is like, what do you recommend for EC ranges, right? And that's a very generalized uh, question. Uh, there's a lot of variables that are going into there. What types of lighting are you looking at? Uh, what's, what are some of your environmental parameters? Are those in check, uh, et cetera? And so also what makes that more complicated is when we talk about timeframes uh, and steering uh, intentions, the EC can be very dynamic during your, your generative shots. So in this case, you know, we're looking at anywhere from, uh, say, 7 to, you know, over 20 because those plants are being driven very, very generatively and their, their growth rate is indicating a major drop in water content from a day-to-day -day basis. Now, on, on the right side, we can see a little bit more of that, that vegetative irrigation, in which case the EC is much more stabilized. Uh, you know, as your chart showed, the more irrigations we have through a day, the more likely that EC is going to stabilize. Uh, we're replenishing it with new nutrients, whether that's keeping the, or the EC a little bit lower or a little bit higher. It's going to depend on your feed EC uh, and what's occurring in that root zone. So in this case, you know, some of those vegetative ranges, maybe, you know, in the, the four to, to seven range. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of other variables that go into play. So if we're looking at LEDs, where there's a little bit of less radiation coming off the, the lights, then the ECs can be played around with a little bit to be tailored for the exact parameters of that growth environment. Yeah. Yeah, and um, just, you know, when people ask about average ECs, so let's talk about a couple of those, uh, those questions here. Um, do you run a high EC to achieve a better product? not quite that simple it depends on the phase of growth that you're talking about it depends on what you're trying to achieve in that phase so um so yes in certain times higher ecs are better if your goal is to stress the plant so it, let's say it is a genetic that takes stress well um so uh during that uh early uh flower period when running it generative is going to increase your yields and increase bud sites then, then yes, high ECs are better, and those are achieved typically through dryback, where you see the EC spike, as Jason was mentioning. And then um, when you go into the bulking phase, a lower average EC is better because you're trying to keep the plants generative and bulk on those uh, bud sites. And then there was also a question about late in flower, and late in flower is typically when a grower will try to achieve ripening, um, which is achieved through more aggressive drybacks and, and pushing the plant more generative we would expect to see a higher average EC during that time. So um, the EC that you achieve is going to be, you know, different based on just, you know, a variety of things. Just the time of day will change what your EC is. Um, 
based on when your waterings are or when your drybacks are happening. But on average, if we look over a whole day, generative steering is a higher average EC. A vegetative steering is an, a lower average EC. And let's dive into to a slide now um, that that zooms in on, on one on a particular part of a day. And Galen, if I could ask you to um, to talk about EC and plant transpiration. Okay. The, well, again, where the blue line here is showing the the uh, water content. The uh, orange line, the, the electrical conductivity, and uh, now in this case, uh, the electrical conductivity at the end of the dryback period is fairly high, and as soon as as the uh, irrigation starts, the water content goes up and the electrical conductivity goes down because the, the nutrient solution is a lot more dilute than the, the substrate water. At the end of irrigation, uh, you start the dry back. You can see the, the uh, electrical conductivity increasing and, and increases over that whole dry back period. And that, that's the result of the concentration of the water. The, plant takes up uh, a lot more water than it does in proportion to the nutrients that are in the water during this time. And so the, uh, the concentration in the solution increases during that time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, so I, I think, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that, that is, in fact, one of the things that you're looking for for generative um, steering is to that uh, that ramping up of the electrical conductivity uh, during the dry bank yep yes and and i noticed you know when uh, jason talks about stacking i noticed when i was growing my own plants um, in a tent that when the plants are re relatively small their ability to take up water from the substrate is way more limited the root mass is, is smaller the surface area of the leaves is smaller, transpiration rate is lower. And, um, you know, you can only achieve, even with longer drybacks and smaller plants, you can only achieve so much dryback during, during that dryback phase. And you won't see those EC start stacking until the plants get bigger and, and increase um, their, uh, their transpiration rate. Um, okay, um, let's jump to some of the other questions. Um, yeah, this one's, uh, well, uh, we have a question here. Should the Terrace 12 be used in every plant, or is it okay to use in every tray? This one, uh, while we would love, as a company that actually makes substrate sensors, we would love it if every single plant had a Terrace 12 in it. That isn't necessary and is, um, uh, you just have to get a representative sample and typically we talk about here, uh, you know, getting good EC and water content readings from an irrigation zone. It'll depend on how big your zones are, but you need to get a representative sample from that zone. And uh, our recommendation is for indoor growing one sensor every 100 square feet to, to get um, a representation there. And that might be 
what would you say, Jason, one sensor every, you know, if we're talking about flower, about typical flower density, one sensor every 50 plants, is that about right? Sure, ab absolutely. Um, and one of the things there to consider as well is looking at the variability of what you're operating, what you're trying to analyze. And if you check out the YouTube, there's a, a video I did on sensor density talking about normalized distribution curves, just applying some simple statistical analysis to think about, hey, what is a significant number of sensors for me to have? So I'm using multiple cultivars in a room, uh, then you'll need more sensors to attribute the different types of uh, population. Those genetics can behave differently. Any other differences in there? Maybe you, you don't have a great light consistency. Maybe one of, one of the walls in your greenhouse is blocking uh, some sunshine in, in one of the sides of the corners of that room. Uh, if you're playing with multiple types of substrates, you'll definitely need more sensors because any of those differences uh, across crop uniformity are going to require a better picture. Uh, they're going to have different growth rates. They're going to have different population curves. And you'll need to want to segment those out so that you're not necessarily trying to analyze uh, multiple variables with, with one type of average. Okay, um, and I have a, um, I have a question about EC generally um, as it relates to plant nutrients. Um, so, um, and this wasn't on our, on our list that was submitted, but something I've always been curious about. I've, I've heard about many years ago in Holland, they tried to get an ion-specific um, sensor that could just tell them the concentrations of everything, you know, um, uh, nitrogen, uh, potassium, phosphorus, boron, you know, every, every single thing, you know, manganese, everything that was going to be in the water. Um, and um, while EC can tell you a lot about nutrient concentration, it doesn't tell you anything about your nutrient formula, right? Is, am, I, am I correct there? Or what, um, what do I need to know about the formulation of my nutrients versus, versus EC? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome question, and the composition of your nutrients is not necessarily um, can't it can't be seen by electrical conductivity. So things that you can do to help keep an eye on that uh, nutritional balance, making sure that the right ions are, are being pulled up by the plant, easiest would be a pH of your runoff. So making sure that you're not seeing too much of a rise in your pH. Uh, that's going to indicate that the nutrient balance is good and the plant is not necessarily running out of negatively charged ion nutrients. Another great practice for this is sending in leaf tissue analysis. So getting some uh, lab results that indicate what nutrient levels are in that sample itself. Most labs are going to give you some recommended ranges, which is a great idea of keeping track of the different components in that composition. Yep. Yep, that's uh, so. That's always helpful to know. And that leaf uh, tissue analysis is pretty common in other industries. It is rarer amongst cannabis growers, as far as you know, from from what I've seen in talking to people. But the people who are very scientific and nerdy about growing do send uh, tissue samples in to to get that constituent uh, nutrients and uh, analysis in there in the leaves. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, stomatal conductance because we did get a question on that. And um, specifically, let's talk about stomatal conductance and um, uh, EC, like running high ECs or stressing the plant. So 
Um, we got this question, does, do we sell a stomatoconductance uh, sensor? And the answer is yes. Um, and since this has the theme of a, uh, a family broadcast already, I'll say that our stomatoconductance sensor was designed by my um, genius brother many years ago and uh, is a great way to measure the, um, to get a stomatoconductance reading and look at the photosynthetic activity of the plant without buying a full-blown uh uh, photosynthesis analyzer um, and we do have customers that are using these and seeing really interesting um, getting interesting and important results um, Galen what would you expect to see on uh, from a uh, stomatoconductance uh, from our um, uh, parameter we call it a leaf parameter what would you expect to see at different phases of plant growth like let's say maybe when you're steering the plant generatively versus um, steering the plant uh, vegetatively. Well, I wish we had enough data to, I mean, we're in the process of collecting that kind of data now and, and haven't gotten a very complete picture yet. And uh, some species are, are well studied and a lot of data around, but I've not found a lot of data in the literature either that shows that. But but in general, uh, stomates are more open in the day than at night, so the conductance is higher in the light than in the dark. Um, and uh, the, we would expect if the plant was stressed that the stomates would close. So during uh, generative steering, we We'd expect to see uh, lower stomatal conductances, and usually as leaves age, the conductance goes down. So we would expect uh, closer to harvest to see lower conductances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anecdotally, having and when I take the leaf parameter and have taken it into uh, cultivation facilities, I see lower stomatal conductance on plants that are that are being stressed. Um, and higher stomatoconductance on plants that are um, that are being steered uh, vegetatively, um, but it um, you know it will take some um, some use of that um, leaf parameter and getting comfortable with it to to um, say what those readings mean. And you can log those in the uh, the Arroyo Journal, the readings, the uh, stomatoconductance readings that you take. So. Um, the, the key thing about the parameter and the reason why we sell it is that instead of looking at what conditions the plant exists in, you're actually taking a primary measurement of what the plant is doing. And so this is a reason why it's an important reading. It's, uh, it, but it does take some expertise and dedication to, to get that, um, to, to make that uh, information useful. And I'm going to, I'm going to chime in here just a, a little bit more to talk about what, uh, what is driving that stomatal conductance? So yeah, when we please. talk about stomatal conductance, the higher your stomatal conductance, the, the more water vapor leaving those leaves. And so that's going to be transpiration rate. Typically, higher transpiration rates mean that we can build biomass faster. Uh, and what's pushing that stomatal conductance is uh, a multitude of factors. So it's a good balance in your environment and a, a good nutrient uh, relationship with how that plant is growing. When we look at ways that you can modulate or change that stomatal conductance and attempts to get it up there as high as possible is um, 
definitely looking at your VPD. So vapor pressure deficit is going to be talking about how much vacuum is the environment applying to that leaf surface. And that's going to really dictate how much those models can be open or closed. If we've got uh, an environment that's too hot and or too dry, uh, or the combination of the two, those stomates are going to close up so the leaf can uh, re re retain water and not wilt. When our VPD is too low, so an environment that's too cold and or too humid, there's not necessarily enough pressure in that environment to be pulling uh, water, enough transpiration. So getting a good VPD balance um, and looking at VPD charts to hit the right humidity for the temperature that's desired uh, in that plant is one of the ways that you can go to optimize stomatal conductance. So going in the room, taking stomatal conductances over a good sample in the room, kind of analyzing that model, setting that as a baseline, and then when you do make any changes to environmental conditions or uh, nutrient, what the, what the substrate feels, kind of get an idea of, hey, is that baseline Am I improving on that baseline or is it going down? And that's a great way to understand if the changes that you made were felt appropriately by the plant for improvement. Yep. Yeah, so if I understand you correctly, it's it's a diagnostic tool that you can use to look at potential problems with your uh, environmental conditions in your rooms. Uh, you know, temperature and VPD uh, being the key ones that would affect how that, uh, the, the work rate of the plants in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, probably probably more important than uh, for diagnosing those problems than for looking at the plants and seeing if the if the steering is having an effect on the on the uh, stomatal conductance rate. Um, okay, so uh, we do have a question about the ES two. Um, so the ES two is a uh, inline. Um, so you can think of the Teros twelve as measuring the electrical conductivity in the substrate. And a lot of questions that we get uh, have to do with what's happening in the feed EC. And this is something that was hard for me to understand in the beginning because uh, many people that we talk to run their feed ECs at totally different levels. Some people down at 1.3, I've heard as high as 4 before as well. So, um, and it's like, well, you know, how come there are so many different um, opinions on this? And, um, and so uh, let's just say about the ES2. The ES2 is a way just to stick a sensor in a pipe and measure what your feed EC is, which is helpful to know because that's driving what's happening in the su substrate. But it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't just follow that if you're running a higher uh, feed EC that you're going to have higher EC in the substrate. Am I right about that? Yeah, the nice thing that the ES2 is providing is an understanding of an input, right? So when we're looking at a substrate, uh, it's, it's what the plant is doing. It's a very dynamic area. When we're looking at the ES2 sensor, that feed EC, it's nice to have a line of comparison, right? So if we are feeding it, say, three dust siemens per meter, we can see is that substrate floating, you know, nominally about four EC, or is mm -hmm. it nominally floating about five EC? Uh, things like cation exchange capacity and your media type can affect what that, that difference is and that fluctuation. So yep, that's exactly right. Your EC and your substrate's not always going to follow the EC from your uh, fertigation line. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
um, any anything to add on that, um, Galen? And maybe uh, I don't know if this if this graph here is helpful to look at. Um, uh, any any additional points on FDC versus um, substrate DC and why they're different? Well, the, the uh, we can think about why the the substrate DC would be lower than the feed, and that would have to be because the plant was taking up nutrients, and it's higher because the or when the plant takes up uh, in proportion more water than than nutrients, and so you can see. Um, if you look uh, toward the end of the uh, day, this shows a one-day period with an irrigation event and then a quick drop in water content during the, the light period. And then you can see about uh, three-quarters of the way across the, the uh, uh, water content stops dropping. That's when the lights go out. But you can see that the uh, EC goes, the pore water EC is going down during that time. Uh, the, the only way it can go down is if the plants take up nutrients. So uh, that's, that's an indication of the nutrient uptake by the plants. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. Scott and Jason, I actually have a question here on the chat. Yep. Uh, Jose wrote, uh, sometimes on the graph, we will notice the EC data cruising along a certain EC, while the water content will do what it usually does, going up and drying back. Would this have something to do with how the plant is responding, or is this more than likely the placement of the sensor? It could be both. It could be a, a combination of both. Uh, we do send out sensor placement tools, templates with all of our, our kits. Uh, we absolutely recommend that that be used. When we look at the volume of influence in this sensor, we really want to try and get an average of that substrate volume. What What is the expected value the bulk of those roots are feeling? So when we took a look at like a perched water table or the gradient of water from top to bottom of the substrate, it's imperative that that sensor be placed in the right vertical level to capture that. If we've got it too low, it's likely going to read higher than the, the bulk water content of that substrate. If it's too high, it's probably going to be a little bit drier. So shooting for that range based on our recommendations with that sensor template tool can avoid any placement issues. Um, that being said, if, if it is in the right area, it could definitely be an indicator of, of that plant responding, um, maybe not necessarily being very active as far as um, pulling nutrients or possibly pulling the exact amount of nutrients um, that you're supplying to. Yeah, and uh, also, Jose, if you're interested, I'm happy to look at your specific data um, with our customer support team because um, it, you know, it, uh, it could be that there is a problem with the sensor. Um, the, those are really uncommon, but... Um, uh, but um, it, it would be easy in looking at your data to say whether um, that might be a placement issue or it might be an issue with the sensor itself. Um, and uh, as Jason said, it is really important to use the alignment tool, we call it an alignment tool, to consistently place those sensors 
in the same uh, location in the substrate every time. Um, and that that's uh, one of the critical pieces to getting good uh, repeatable data. I will say though that uh, in all the times that I've uh, looked at my data from when I'm uh, irrigating the plants and looking at the response, um, that in many cases, uh, most of the cases that I've seen, the EC is changing when the water content changes. It, it's not necessarily for sure that it's opposite to water content, although with the consistent irrigation events, you will often see EC moving in the opposite direction from water content. Um, Could I just make a quick comment? Please. If you think about the processes that are going on, that uh, the uh, electrical conductivity, uh, or I mean the salt being leached out when you have drainage, uh, the salt being taken up by the plant, uh, the, the substrate being uh, either uh, leached or replenished by the water coming in. Uh, all of those processes are going on at the same time. And so you, uh, what will happen to the, to the uh, poor water EC over the period of the day will depend on the sum of those things. And if, uh, if you've chosen a feed EC that is just uh, sufficient to supply the nutrients that the plant's taking out by the the uh, electrical conductivity won't change very much over the period of the day even though the water content does change quite a bit yep uh yes so um uh thank you for that and just a clarification here we've got uh, a comment asking about uh placed vertically and, and i just wanted to clarify the verbology terminology that i used there and i'll share uh, just a quick view from our installation guide. Uh, the sensors should be installed with the prongs horizontally. What I was talking about is a, a critical vertical height at which those prongs are inserted vertically. So hopefully this, uh, this clears any of that up and you can see that installation template tool that we recommend for different sized medias. Yep, thank you. Um... Let's go to um, sensors reading zero, a zero EC sensor. What does that usually mean? So if we're, we're looking at zero, uh, you know, it could be where there's absolutely no nutrients in the, the solution. And one of the things I do like to keep an eye on is if we've got a really low water content, it also could mean that that EC is, is so high that we can't read it. So our sensors, uh, we cap out that reading at 30 decisiemens per meter. It gets too much, uh, too much higher over 30 decimens. Sometimes that graph will show it at zero. So if you do see zero decimens, look at your water content. Uh, if it's really low, it's probably talking about, hey, we've got a, a, a serious salt concentration here that uh, the sensor can't accurately read. So it's out of range. Yep. Uh, and I would like to point out too that you know, relative to water content, uh, we have had people say, well, I just took my Arroyo sensor and I dunked it in a bucket of water and it didn't read 100%. And that's because, you know, uh, the vast majority of our growers are not growing in buckets of water. So the, the sensors are created to use in a, you know, in a hydroponic media and uh, even in soil. Although if you are looking at uh, water stress in soil, it's going to, uh, it, 
you're going to be much more interested in matrix potential than you are in in the bulk or uh, sorry the poor water EC. So um, that's something to definitely keep in mind. But uh, yeah, if you dunk uh, Terrace twelves in buckets of water, um, you, you're not going to get a hundred percent reading. And uh, the um, we do have a related question on what is typically the highest water content that we see in cocoa? So with cocoa specifically, uh, looking at the chip and pith size, so manufactured to manufactured, there is differences in that field capacity, that saturation point at which we do see runoff. Uh, for most of the cocos that I've experienced, looking at ranges of, say, uh, 40 Maybe 45% all the way up to about 55%, depending on, on pith capacity. Yeah. Yeah, and cocoa, as, as Jason mentioned, uh, can show a lot of variability. And um, in some cases, when the chunks are massive, um, they can even create large air gaps in the, in the substrate, which are not necessarily conducive to, to good growing or good readings either. That, that's exactly right. And just like some of the irrigation channeling that we've talked about in, in past uh, videos here, when there is big pockets, uh, and I think one of the questions was a little bit about perlite in here as well. If you've got large chunks of perlite that are sitting right next to the prongs, if that thing uh, turns into a reservoir for water or it turns into a reservoir for air, that sensor may not necessarily be a great representation of the substrate. And it's also kind of a testament to some of the ability of rock wool being a very homogeneous substrate is the sensors work very well and very predictable because that uh, continuity with the, the substrate, that the way that the substrate is consistent around the prongs, right? And it's not necessarily a big issue with uh, good cocoa manufacturers because they do have a consistent uh, product uh, across that bag. But in, in any hand mix types, uh, anything that's got soil or amendments, you definitely want to take into consideration some of that, especially during your installation. Yep. Yes. Um, we have an unrelated question to EC, which is uh, why are Aqualab water activity meters so expensive? <laughs> and uh, I can tell you um, that uh, being a, a small manufacturer of customized devices, which is, um, which is what, uh, meter Group is, uh, Meter Group and, and Arroyo um, within Meter Group, um, it's really hard and very difficult to make an instrument that measures uh, things correctly every single time. And that's the dedication that we put into products like Aqualab that measure water activity. We'll probably talk about water activity on a different office hours, but um, let me just say that, um, that yes, uh, you know, relative to something like a... Um, a wood moisture meter that you buy at Home Depot that you that uses two prongs and that you shove into a two by four, um, a, an Aqualab um, precision water activity meter that's accurate to zero zero three water activity units is expensive. I, I do agree with that. But uh, the key is that by measuring water activity, you can protect your crop and increase your quality. Uh, while improving your uh, profitability as well. And um, we'll talk about that a separate time, but. Uh, but if if uh, a grower says um, that uh, that water activity is expensive, um, I would say it's way 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 less expensive than having to recall your product because of a mold problem. So um, so 
price is what you pay, value is what you get. And the value of water activity and of crop steering, for example, is just in how it affects your productivity as a grower. Um, so I have an, uh, another question about, hey, I have a light setup that's not automated. How would the Arroyo sensor benefit my growth? Um, I mean, for the most part right now, Arroyo is a, um, a business-to-business product. You do have to have your, um, you know, your, we, we do ask you for uh, your license number. We, we sell to license growers. Um, so assuming you're a licensed grower with an 8-light setup, um, the, you know, the Arroyo system can benefit what you're doing, but it's not as useful if you don't have irrigation automation, if you're, you know, if you're hand watering things. Still, um, there are a lot of uh, benefits that you could get by starting to capture um, data and look at how you're steering your crops and even make decisions if you are hand watering, should I go out and water and how often and uh, with what, uh, um, with what duration, um, even down to, to how your cultivars are grown. So Mostly, uh, the, the power of Arroyo is much higher with uh, automated irrigation, uh, drip irrigation systems, but it can still apply to, to smaller cultivators. Um, it's just maybe um, less powerful, is, is my opinion. Jason, any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely more difficult to get to the point that you want without that automation, right? So obviously being able to have insight into your substrate and understanding of what you're doing currently is very, very important because you can make small modifications to how you're treating those plants. But without automation, you you would have to spend, be spending maybe all day in there giving the, the water shots at the right time so that you can achieve the types of crop steering that you want. Now, obviously, that is on the performance side of things. Uh, if you want a system that uh, just can monitor and help you alert when parameters are going way off the wall, then any type of sensor system is going to be helpful to keep an eye on what, what's happening there. Yep. Um, okay, we're down to uh, general questions. Here I have a question. Why Arroyo over GrowLink? So that's a question about uh, a competitor, a competing system. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the, the way that we think about competitors at Arroyo is that uh, we love it when other people are out there um, seeing what we're doing and excited about something like crop steering and saying that, that it is important. And I think we see a lot more interest in the marketplace in something like crop steering, seeing that we, uh, that we uh, broke that ground and helped the industry to understand how important it is to getting good yields. Um, the biggest difference between us and other companies and the simplest way that I can explain it is that Teros 12. It's a sensor that we have spent the last decade perfecting. We started out with it in soil, but started working with some of the largest uh, indoor growing companies in the world um, and meeting their requirements in terms of accuracy, performance, and durability for a sensor that is going to deliver results. And at the end of the day, the most important thing for achieving results is getting accurate EC readings. And as I mentioned before, the Terrace 12 is the only sensor that I've ever seen that can uh, measure with accuracy and consistency in, uh, you know, that can measure with that high of a, a level of accuracy and consistency in a uh, hydroponic growth medium like uh, Stonewall or like, uh, like cocoa. So, um, you know, that's, that's the foundation of what we do. Uh, we are, uh, a group of scientists 
the company was founded uh, by my dad out of academia, and we bring that spirit through to to the product. We're not a controls company. We're not a, um, you know, we're, we're we are not a uh, you know an ERP vendor. We focus on increasing uh, yield for our customers, and that's why we're having this this uh, conversation around the science of of EC. So I think that's the biggest difference between us and and other people is. Um, the Terrace 12, and I can tell you I'm sitting right now in Pullman, Washington, and that's where we make the Terrace 12 as well. Um, and so, you know, we're 100 feet away, sitting 100 feet away right now from where those sensors are made, and they came from our researchers, and they um, and we make them and send them out to, to growers all over the world. So that's what I think uh, the big difference is. And I might just add the, the second next step to that, and that was pairing that Terrace 12 with a easy-to-use system. Uh, when I talk about easy to use, I do absolutely emphasize the software. We've got a lot of investment in developing this next to our growers. We've got years of research with projects where we go out, visit people, use designers, use UX, UI professionals, and implement the tools that the client needs based on how they're operating. And on the hardware side of ease of use, we have a system that is, is quickly deployed. So the wireless sensors themselves are a very unique solution to grow rooms that may already have a, a lot going on. You know, I was recently at a, a facility where some of, some of the wires on a, a competitor system were severed by the rolling benches. Uh, they had some knots in them, uh, et cetera. And so you know, when we think about having a reliable system, it needs to be easy to use, easy to implement, and the, the wireless solution of those substrate sensors keeps the configuration simple and it makes rooms clean. Yep. Yeah, and I, uh, I do appreciate that. And, and I, I will also say that, uh, that uh, you know, another big difference, and I mentioned this before, but, you know, Galen, Jason, people like that um, that have experience and uh, take a scientific approach to growing, that's that's the difference as well. So it's the simplicity that uh, that Jason mentioned. It's the design um, thinking that we've put into a system that can be installed in a matter of hours. You know, you can be up and live, uh, getting data streaming into your to your platform, um, to the science that is sits behind the sensor itself. All those are critical um, in terms of of uh, delivering results and um, the. Everything that we do, all the, the efforts that we make is focused on one thing, which is to increase grams per square foot per year for our, our uh, clients. Um, so uh, the last question on our list is plans. Uh, what are your plans for rolling out a system for personal or small rooms? And <laughs> I will just say yes. <laughs> To, uh, to what are your plans? Uh, because we don't really have anything to, to share at this point. We would like for the system to be, uh, how, should, how could we put it, um, uh, uh, self-provisioned or self-deployed. You know, self um, and right now, if you buy a system, we set up your facility, uh, our team sets it up, and then we deploy it um, by provisioning it in-house before it ever goes out to your facility. So. It makes the process really simple for you, um, but if we were to do things for and focus on smaller uh, growers, smaller producers, um, we would have to get something that was a lot more, a lot easier to deploy than that. And 
we are working on that. We don't have anything to share at this point, but we do understand uh, just because we check our Instagram, uh, we do understand how badly people want this. So um, I don't know if you have anything to add, Jason. I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, and uh, Galen, did we miss anything in the EC? I mean, um, and let me just say that uh, Galen gave a presentation on EC that was uh, tremendous. And I just showed a few slides from that today. We will link in the description that entire seminar if you're interested in watching it uh, because it's chock full of great information for growers and was specifically formulated for people who are growing in controlled environments, which is uh, what Aurora customers do. But Galen, did we miss anything you wanted to hit before we before we sign off? Probably not. There's, um, with respect to the the uh, diffusion parameter and model conductance, uh, there's another uh, another the webinars in that same series that talks about how to use those kind of data. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the exciting part. It's not just this uh, one seminar on that, uh, but it's a series of four seminars. I think uh, the I think what are you on number four coming up soon? Is that right? Well, we've just done number three. Okay. Haven't scheduled number four. Haven't yet. scheduled number four. Yeah, it's it's meant to to be a comprehensive look at at the foundational technologies that make um, that make Arroya possible and um, yeah, is is really a lot of great information, and uh, you know one of the most important things explained in a way that um, that people who don't necessarily have a scientific background like me uh, can really understand. So, um, so there, there was one other question, okay, that I saw at least that we could uh, address. The question was, what's the relationship between parts per million and uh, electrical conductivity. Okay, yeah, and and that uh, that relationship is specific to the whatever salt is in the solution. Yep. But uh, for uh, nutrient solutions that are uh, at least for a couple of nutrient solutions that are used for cannabis, uh, it ends up pretty easy that uh, something like uh, a thousand parts per million is about one decimal per meter. But, but if, you, if you have table salt, for example, why a thousand parts per million would be two decimals per meter. So, so it depends on the salt that's in there, but it's not a difficult thing to, to determine that relationship. You just mix up a few different solutions and measure their electrical conductivity and you can work it out for whatever um, solution you happen to be working with. Yeah, and just to kind of ex expand upon that on how some of our growers use it these days, uh, I would like to start off that EC is the native measurement that the electrical conductivity is measured in. So, we, you know, we we would need to derive PPM from a conversion factor. One of the things that I always talk to growers about when they're used to using PPM is, uh, you know, that understanding that, hey, you might as well go from the, the natively derived measurement and the fact that there is also a number of PPM scales. And so that can get confusing if, you know, you're talking about PPM 
but there's not necessarily the scale that is specified. Uh, it's easy to be way off in that nutrient con uh, that nutrient concentration. And with EC, uh, you've got only one measurement type. That's that's one one ratio, and it's uniform across whatever you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Um, I think that about does it, Keisha. I think you're right, Scott, Jason, and our special guest, Galen. Thank you so much. What a great session. Um, thank you to everyone who joined us for this week's Arroyo Office Hours Live. It's our last one for the year. Um, but this is your time. Any questions that you have about Arroyo, how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process, any topics you'd like us to cover in future Office Hours sessions, please let us know. Uh, feel free to put that in the chat. Shoot us an email at support.arroyo at metergroup.com or send us an Instagram DM. We definitely want to hear from you. We record every session, and we will email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It will also live on the Arroyo YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, definitely share them. Share the video uh, with anyone else who might find this information useful. We look forward to seeing you all in 2022. Happy holidays, everyone. Yep, happy holidays. Thank you. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.